Welcome to the Untaming Femininity Podcast. I'm Igena Gerasi. And I'm Sam Allen. And we believe that untamed women are real and powerful. Our podcast is all about inspiring curious women like you to speak and live your truth and to express your femininity on your own terms. Tune in for your weekly dose of depth, lightness and heartfelt shares. We are honored to have as our guest today, Emma Pearson. Emma is a business psychologist working with individuals, teams and organizations in transition. She helps organizations bring more humanity, more human being to their mates. She does this through executive and team coaching and organizational development support. Emma is living fully, even with the multiple losses of four much-loved people in her life that happened in the space of four years. We're so honored to have you here, Emma, today. Welcome. Emma, we are both deeply grateful that you've come on our podcast today to speak about living with loss, with grief. We're just so honored. Thank you very much. And we'd love to ask you, what is it about this topic, Emma, that's so close to your heart? Well, living with loss, every one of those words yeah. is important. The loss, because I've had multiple enormous losses these last four years, and we can come a little more into those. Um, the living, because I am living, right? These people who are vitally important in my life have died. I think many people who lose a very close loved one make some choice, conscious or not, and sometimes over and over and over, do I want to live? That was never in question for me. I knew I wanted to live, partly because I knew that what good would one more death do, right? So, it wasn't an option, but it was also a very intentional choice that I, I, I want to carry on living. I actually still love life, and I hope that comes across. The with bit, because it is with, it's just there. It's close to my heart. I love that language. It's in my heart. Um, one of the very helpful, useful expressions I learned about grief when I was first bereaved was that grief is simply another form of love. And it's sort of, there's various memes that go around. Some of them are more helpful than others, but essentially it's loving a dead person. Yeah. Grief is loving a dead person. It's the love that remains when you're not getting it back in the same alive way. Well, there's so much love and grief and already mm. you have the goosebumps <laughs> coming all over me just with, with that True. share. And I can relate on a personal level. I know that Megana can as well. And yes, there's so, so much love and grief. Yeah. And to me, it opened an eye. I've never heard this expression. Is showing love to someone who has passed away. Mm. Sam and I, we both have experienced our dads have both passed away at an early age. It gives so much meaning. And I'm also curious, what has grief taught you? What has grief taught me? And it will teach me to the end of my days. And I'm just wondering if I want to turn the question around what has love taught me. Mm -hmm. And that's not about denial of the word, but they're just so inextricably linked. Yeah. So I'm just going to go off in various directions here. Yeah. 
one thing I really want to articulate clearly is that I did not need these levels of losses to be a good person. And I say that with real conviction because there's a lot of literature about people having waking up calls. And of course, I've learned a lot. Of course, some things massively have shifted. And I was still living what I think to have been a very grateful, present, authentic, good life. So sometimes I hear people say that grief has reminded them what's important in life. I can't claim that, but I can say I just hold it ever, ever closer. It wasn't that I was constantly living or even am living constantly in the present, but there is more presence. Some of it's about quicker release of things that don't matter. And I think I was pretty good at that already. So that's one whole strand. What It has heightened some of the knowledge and self-awareness that I had and made my living intentions more conscious, I think. I think another piece is that, and just seeing the two of you on my screen, and I know more of Sam's story than yours, Migena, but as soon as you hear someone say, I've lost a dad, I've lost a best friend, I've lost a, another relationship, something in me stops. That may be different now. I would have heard it in the past, but now I really stay with it and see the person. I can't necessarily go into their loss because sometimes that's self-protection. I can't just take on everyone's loss around me, but I notice it. And so the learning or the reminder is that loss is everywhere. Loss is everywhere and doesn't need to be a human being. And any plan that comes to an end, any ambition, any project, any this whole COVID year, holiday plans, opportunities. I, I think of the young students, young graduates, whose opportunities have gone. That's grief as well. That's loss. So there's a couple of answers now. I'm deliberately avoiding the answer that, again, we hear a lot. Oh, it taught me compassion. It taught me gratitude. Eh, I don't buy that. And that's not to say sounds like it now but I don't mean to say that I was hugely fantastic or all of those things I was pretty good <laughs> yeah I hear you and I'm also getting curious around the expression of grief I know from my mm. personal journey a big part of healing has been through writing and I'm wondering how you express or have expressed your grief and what that's brought to you writing is one of them writing is a big one so I'll talk a little bit about that I have always written but not prolifically and when Mike my husband died in April 2017 I within a week or two I wrote a blog post called I don't much like this widowing thing and I can go back and look at that now and actually quite in awe of how I could string sentences together and it's a me I don't really recognize because again my life has changed many times since then it gives me history. It gives me threads of myself that I think could have just disappeared into a bit of a, an unconscious zone. It gives me, because I now write at least on a weekly basis, sometimes more, but at least on a weekly basis, because I do have a weekly commitment to a widow's, a widow's blog. And it was with this group that I was discussing my main two realizations last weekend. And the first one is that it allows me to figure out what's going on with myself. 
So one of the things I've explained to some people is that I feel back to front sometimes when it comes to emotions. Some people are very aware of what emotions they're feeling and they can articulate, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. I find that my emotion comes out through writing. It feels back to front. And then the more I say that to people, you know, various people say, oh, me too. Well, I think I'm like that too. So I don't think it's that uncommon. But I can just be in a blur and not really know what's going on and just think, okay, I need to write. And I'll just start somewhere and it can go off in any direction. By the end of it, I know what's happening. So it's sort of inner reflection. And then the interesting thing, and this is really weird. I mean, I'm a psychologist, but I don't know anything about this. As I read it, if it is a piece, they're not all sad, my pieces, but if it is about deep sadness, it will make me cry and cry and cry. And I didn't necessarily cry before. I didn't necessarily cry while writing it. The emotion can come in the rereading and that's what it gives me. And I know that's the right emotion. Ooh, I'm really touched by what you're sharing. Mm. And I just get the sense of you being able to see yourself where you're at through that process mm. and what an amazing portal that is into mm. connecting with, with your emotions and with your grief. Mm. It's a bit of an excavation. This image just came to, to mind that it's dusting away of what's going on. And oh, here we go. The second piece that I know it gives me is, or that I do it for, the second reason I do the writing for, it's become this reason, is education. Education of others. Hopefully not in too pointed a way and not necessarily in the big wide world or community, but actually my friends. Because I have... At many levels, I have the life a lot of people hope they never have. And that's very isolating. Add to that a pandemic and my surviving kids have left home. I don't have a huge amount of energy, really, to explain how things are really. And I don't like answering the question, not really. People say, how are you? I won't say, oh, fine. And the effort to say, well, here's what's going on. It's hard for me and it's hard for them. And so part of my writing is to allow people to stay up to speed with me and knowing that I probably wrote whatever they're reading three days ago and things have moved on since then. Just I try and weave in the little bits of phrases or not to do's or things that I've loved that people have done. Mm. Yeah, almost like a journaling process somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you talk about not really having the energy to actually tell people how you really really feel and that can also take take a toll on one being around other people how are you in in your daily life in relation mm. to other people yeah well gosh I can again lots of different pieces of answers one thing I want to say is that my dirty little secret is that I love the pandemic she said it <laughs> she said it McGenna <clears throat> and Gosh, absolutely not for all of the loss and distress and ill health and so on. I'll tell you why I say that. And it's because a lot of the external distractions just aren't there. I don't have people saying, can I come visit you? Really well-meaning, you know, but childhood friends, can I go? I'm going to be in your area. Can I come and stay with you? It's effort if people do that. And as you know, where I live, it's a beautiful area. <laughs> normally in a non-COVID year, in a non-pandemic year, I'd probably have a lot of visitors. So that, that's one piece. Um, so I've likened being in lockdown very, very much with living with grief. And it's not all bad. So I'm not saying it's all bad, but the permission to give myself a little bubble 
of self-care, of nurturing has been vital. I have what I need, really need, right? I mean, there's lots of things that would be fun to have, but I have what I really need. Close by, I've got space, I've got my dog, I've got a cat, comfortable house, right? Food. Mm. I have really the basics that I need. And again, I just repeat your question to me if you can remember it, because I know there was somewhere else my mind was going when you asked it. How do you survive in relation to people wanting to help and wanting to be close? And because maybe there is a little bit of my experience at that time when my dad passed away, I just closed down for like mm. two months or something that I didn't want to mm. see anyone. Mm. And of course, people were all the time calling, knocking at my door, mm. and I simply didn't want to. Yeah. So I'll say a couple more things. You asked me earlier what has grief taught me. So a colleague of mine died two weeks ago after living with a degenerative disease for 10 years. And I know that there's absolutely no need for me to be in touch with her family, send flowers, write a card right now. I could do it in six months and it might actually be noticed and appreciated. I will do it because it's the kind of thing I want to do. I want to write about my former colleague and share some memories. So the, the immediate support, and I think it depends on the loss. It really depends on the loss, but the immediate support is for me, was barely noticed and very early on I took it as huge pressure the messages I got when my husband died and then my daughter were felt like an obligation and fortunately I learned very early just to say to people I don't want to respond keep your messages coming I don't I'm quite happy to get the messages actually I wasn't saying I don't want the messages but I don't want to feel I have to respond that effort is too great And so that's something I do now when, because I have written to my colleague's sister, I, I've written, you know, various messages, but not, not a, a physical writing card. And I've just said, I'm going to write from time to time, just say, I'm thinking of you, checking in on you, and there's never a need to respond. So that's something, a little gift that I wanted, that I have given to people. And, and some friends picked up on it and they started to write N-N-T-R, no need to respond at the end of messages. So I knew, and I could just then absorb it. So the energy, the effort is huge. And the other piece that I think I wanted to say in answer to your question, Megina, is that at heart, I'm an extrovert. And I was very grateful early on that I was an extrovert. And I haven't quite unpacked all of this yet for myself. But I was aware that if I had been an introvert and perhaps not very connected to people or rejected, which is what I did, rejected people's offers of help early on, unintentionally, it could have all gone away. But I think because I naturally reconnect with people, because I think my network is really quite big, enough people have stayed. You're so easy to connect with Emma that that just doesn't surprise me at all. And I'm also getting curious around the process of grief, because I know from my own experience, it's not this linear thing. So yeah. even though like, it, yeah, it's been, I lost my dad 2015 and yeah. some months, like I'm not experiencing so much grief. Yeah. I think about him every day and I miss him mm. every day. And then suddenly just out of the blue, there's this massive, what I feel like is a wave that just seems to kind of, you know, come over my head and engulf me you know and there I am and floods of tears and really missing and I'm wondering how your experience is with that well similar similar um because there have been four losses in such quick succession Don who was my 
almost 30 year platonic best male friend. That's how I describe him. Then four months after that, my youngest brother, Edward. And then a year and three months after that, my husband, Mike. And then two years after that, our youngest child, Julia. I never know who I'm grieving. I just know I'm grieving. And what I find is that I'm one or two behind. And although my life feels very different since Julia died, which is now nearly 18 months ago, I know I'm hardly grieving her yet. Moments. And those moments can be a few hours, but it's very different to how other people might be experiencing grief where they can't emerge from bed for six months. That hasn't happened to me. And who knows, maybe it will. Maybe it will. I can absolutely howl for my brother, Edward, who now died nearly five years ago. I don't think I would be howling for him if Mike and Julia hadn't died. Very occasionally, perhaps, but not that real howling. I'd be feeling sad, perhaps, or wanting to speak to his daughters. Or I think one of the things is that every loss brings back subsequent losses. I feel like there's this kind of window of tolerance, which is language you may have come across in terms of what can I let in. In my bid for self-care, and I sometimes it may be denial, I block stuff out because it's just it would just be too much. Yeah, trigger dates. Julia died on the 30th of June. We go from the 30th of June to the 1st of July. There's no 31st of June. Whenever that combination of dates happens, I feel it. I expect what you've expressed, Sam, will happen for the rest of your life. Yeah. Key dates, songs, songs. My God, songs. What's coming as you speak to this? I mean, noticing the energy of us all speaking to this Mm. topic and how Mm. embodied and slow and present Mm. it is. And what's coming is around mindfulness and grief. And Mm. however its expression is, whether it be a wave or something unexpected or numbness or whatever, allowing that process Mm. and naming it and the acceptance around that. Um, that's what I hear you coming from when you speak and I I find that so incredibly touching and inspiring you know maybe I do have a few little nuggets of wisdom after all along the way in terms of what grief has taught me and this would apply to any emotion that we might get caught up in right but let's take it in the context of grief again quite early on and through my writing I came up, I articulated what I call a whole truth, W-H-O-L-E, a whole truth, a real truth, about the emotional onslaught. And it was, uh, let me see if I get this right now, I haven't traditionally been a crier, right? I'm not, I cry a lot more now, and I haven't traditionally been a crier. I'm not one of these people who cries and then feels better. I cry and then I feel all bummed up and snotty and red-nosed and my eyes are tiny and I don't necessarily feel better. It's not this huge cathartic release that sometimes people talk about. And once I got over that, which was okay, so crying isn't like that for me, I would worry initially, will I ever stop when it starts? And that's quite common. And I very early on was able to realize, yes, your crying will end and you will always cry. And I thought that's my whole truth. That's my real truth. The crying, when it comes, allow it, it will end and you'll always cry. 
that was really settling you know that was really that allowing peace and mm. this is what it is yeah totally i think exactly that allowing peace especially in relation to other people and when you are in that process at least it has been for me it's like holding it back because i don't want to upset i don't want to make people uncomfortable mm. with my grief yeah and it has been so hard mm. and that's one of the big education pieces i think and it is one of the disservices that we do to ourselves and our future selves that we aren't expressing grief because it goes underground and we think what's happening to us is abnormal and I came across a lovely analogy some months ago, and we're all women here, and primarily maybe women listening to the podcast, but women have babies. We kind of hear that it can bloody hurt as it happens. I had three really easy births, but anyway, that's <laughs> beside the point. But and for a lot of people, especially what you see in the films, there's a lot of agony there, and that that is normal. We still have mixed messages about it, right, about childbirth. But at least it's acknowledged that this is, it's normal that it hurts. If we did the same with grief, that you will feel like your heart has been ripped out or you will feel like all strength has gone from your body for days and then you'll be brilliantly energetic and then you'll be down again. If we heard that throughout our lives and if we learned, and the second piece for me is if we learned not to try and if Megina, your grief makes people feel uncomfortable, if they can just acknowledge, oh, I really feel uncomfortable around Megina, let me just stay with being uncomfortable around Megina and not run away or not make her feel bad or not fix her or that second skill is vital. Yeah, and I think that also starts with me, right? Well, that's the education piece in my language. Exactly. Yeah, it starts with you. Exactly. Like being able, allowing that grief to come through and first being comfortable with it myself. Yes. Being seen in that myself. Yes, there's, there are a number of steps, aren't there? There's you being comfortable with it mm. and allowing it. And then there's you possibly being able to be like that in front of other people. And then with a close third, convincing them somehow in a way that doesn't take your energy because it, it really does take energy. Please just sit there. Do nothing. Stay. And I have got two people, maybe three in my life, who can do that. It's not many. Yeah, I'm remembering around the time when I lost my dad and some of the things that people would say, oh, he's in a better place or mm. these kind of like stock expressions. You know what? I've even used these yes. <laughs> just accidentally. Yeah. And people get so clumsy around it mm -hmm. and it doesn't help. It hurts. And you feel mis I felt misunderstood and I felt like I was on a different planet. Like these people mm. are saying this to me. I've just lost this amazing soul from my life and you're mm. telling me he's in a better place. And so what comes to me here is we have to kind of forgive that. <laughs> and yeah, there's clumsiness. And I guess there's not really a manual for this stuff. And, and what a gift those that are able just to sit there with us, yeah. not offering any advice or trying to summarize the experience on our behalf, how powerful that is to have those presences with us. They are, they're vital. I mean, it really is balm to my soul. Yeah. Um, occasionally when I've really been in deep, deep, deep distress, I've just called up one of my good friends who, who does actually know all four of my dead people. Mm. 
she's really the only one I think who knows all four of them and she saw my face and she said oh I know what's up and I just said Julia and she just watched me cry she didn't ask any questions we had had it as a deal you know can I just do this I've got no one I can do this to and she said I'll do it with you and I said but really no fixing don't try and get me into a cheery place let me be and she did with all credit to her and it was beautiful and it just softened into something else and we talked about Julia and she knew her well and we ended up laughing which wasn't the purpose but that's just where it did go on that occasion she's called Victoria but um, I want to come back to what you said Sam about he's in a better place this is not my language but this comes from the work of Megan Devine who's written a fantastic book on grief and she says the reason those she calls them platitudes the reason those platitudes hurt so much is because there's an unarticulated part of the sentence your dad's in a better place so stop feeling bad there's many many other examples but the point is is there's a second half of the sentence that isn't being said but that you are hearing so don't feel so bad Oh, that really, that's clicked in something big mm. for me because mm. there was another person that had said, oh, focus on the good things or the good times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're I not was, allowed. You're not allowed yeah. to feel bad. Yeah. And actually at that time, it was the good times because there were so many that were the most painful part. Yeah, and it was like, a, like you're saying there, there was like a, I'm not being given permission. That's what's coming through as the other part of that sentence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, don't make me, as the person talking to you and hearing these memories of your dad, don't make me feel bad. Yeah. It's other people's discomfort. They're, yeah. they're, they're shaking it off. To me, it was also the sentence that I used to use, right? Like, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. When my dad passed away, it's like, nobody understands. No. My experience is my experience. Oh. That's where the shift in my language and what grief told me. It's just like, I have this experience. This is my experience. And you might experience it very, very differently from me. And you need different things from me. So mm. really being very authentic with the way, what I say and, and how I am with a person that's going through grief. Mm. And the energy to be calm and say, you know, here is what happens when you say that to me, and here is why it doesn't work, is huge. It's way too big for a grieving person. They don't have that energy. It's much easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can swear, yeah. by the way, Emma. Yeah, you know, to just say, fuck off, that's not the right language. Or you don't bloody understand. And I've certainly mm -hmm. lashed out at people in my family who've been really trying to help. Focus on the good things, Emma. Yeah, but that's why sometimes you just react by leaving because you can't yeah. handle all that. You yeah. Know, you can't handle all the nice. Everybody comes from good intentions, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to help and wants yes. to be present. And remembering that is already a step above when you've got no energy. And so the notion of energy has been really important to me. One of your earlier questions, which I think I didn't answer fully, but this idea popped into my mind, was around the how do I deal with people and interact with people? Your question, Megana, I, I knew there was another piece. I really think I'm very good at monitoring where's my energy, what's building it, what's depleting it. Almost like a, a tangible radar. And so if I'm in a conversation, let's say first lockdown has ended, we're now back with human beings and I'm with a group of people and I think, eh, not sure I like these people very much. 
I can articulate that to myself very well. This is not serving me. What do I need? Hmm. I need to go and talk to that one person over there. Hmm. Or, oh, no, I think I'll just make my excuses now before I get completely depleted and incoherent and say, you know, this isn't doing it for me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and do some self-care. I have great legitimacy to do that. And I'm now well practiced at it. But I think that is one of the skills for engaging with the world when you're grieving. There is the self-care. And what else, like people that are going through saying, mm. what advice would you give? I think about this quite a bit because those little expressions, they never work for everybody, right? So some of these may work sometimes and may not work other times. One of the questions that I have tried to ask people who've had losses and that I kind of long to be asked when I'm seeing someone on a fairly regular basis is just, you know, where's Mike in your life these days? Bring their name in. Where's Julia in your life? How are you with all your losses at the moment? And I may say, actually, I'm in a pretty good space right now. I had a, an hour and a half walk out in the woods with a girlfriend who's probably my best physical girlfriend here. By physical, I mean someone I actually see physically. <laughs> All of my friends are physical, but she's one I actually <laughs> still see sometimes. And after an hour and 20 minutes, our walk was now and a half. I actually said, I was just noticed my rising, rising, rising anger and tension. And I'd brought in Mike's name. I'd brought in my brother's name. I'd brought in Julia's name. And nothing, 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 listening to her. And at some stage I said, is it still too painful for you to talk about Mike or my brother or my, or Julia or any of my alive kids? Mm. Nothing, nothing, not one question. You know, just say their names. I don't know how to, and I said, I'm bringing their names in. I am bringing their names in, notice that. And she said, how, what do I do? And I just say, where are you at with them? Or, yes, I remember that, or anything. <laughs> just, yes. just hold it up a tiny little bit on the wave. Don't let it just crash back down again. So the saying the names and keeping the conversations alive, just yeah. tracking what's being mentioned. The, the fallacy of, well, I don't want to remind you they're dead. Oh, for God's sake, I know they're dead. Yeah. There's not one awake or even sleeping moment that I am not aware that they're dead. So you're not making me sadder reminding me. And then another thing I said, you know, you said, I know how you feel and that you've said that and it's not a helpful thing. I would just say, just say, I'm so sorry. Mm. And is it something you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I'm hearing just keeping it open, opening mm. up the space so that it's included and asking non-loaded curious questions basically mm. and allowing stuff to be there that's there mm. and it takes courage it takes courage to speak to grief you're showing enormous courage today and i'm blown away by it it takes yeah. courage to ask about it to be able yes. to be with somebody else's grief i'm really inspired by how you're taking that out into the community too mm. reading about your widbuds and mm. uh, grieflings and i'd love for our listeners to just hear a little bit more about how you're using your own experience or accessing your own experience in service of others here. What I want for the listeners to know is how your message is serving others out in the community. Mm. So I honestly don't know if it is. I hear that it is from some people. I think I'm bringing out topics. And I know it's just my experience. People know where I'm at. That's one thing. 
people feel they're staying in touch with me, which I think is is also good because then I can renew those relationships when I've got more energy and some of that's starting now. The helping other people is totally secondary, secondary or tertiary. That isn't why I write. I think my experience, yes, the writes informs everything I do. So whether it's coaching work or whether it's working with organizations, I also train volunteers for the hospice, end of life hospice now where my brother and my husband died. All of these things I think are colored by my experiences. And part of it, which is, I'm very, very intentional. I'm very careful. I don't always get it right. I'm very careful about using my losses to help people's lives in perspective with them, with their interests Mm -hmm. at heart. And it's delicate, right? Mm -hmm. Because some people can step away and go, oh, you're right, this really doesn't matter. And then some people can say, well, now I feel even worse because if you're managing to brush your teeth every day and make a meal and walk the dog and I can't do that with my fairly straightforward life, then now I feel even worse. So I'm, I'm a bit careful about that. I think what I would like to do, now I'm coming around to an answer to your question, is I would like people to know that there are still many beautiful things to live for. I have Ben and Megan, my two older kids I still have both parents who are healthy my gosh am I so grateful for that I'm one of five kids so I still have three siblings I've got a lovely new man in my life if I hadn't made a choice to live and to live really fully or to feel like I gosh I want to crack at this again this was marvelous what I had with Mike I'm sure it wouldn't have come my way and you're so full of life. <laughs> and I know this about you from our conversations and also reading about your swimming and your music yeah. and like, wow, like there is a love of life that just exudes through you. And we talked earlier about meditation. I'm a failed meditator in the sense <laughs> that I, I start and I fail and start and fail. And I've decided for now, walking the dog, playing the piano, I've just taken up the cello again for the first time since my brother died and long distance swimming, those are my meditative practices. Your love for life and your authenticity is so infectious, Mm. Emma. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like we could, us three, we three could talk about this topic for like another 10 hours. It's felt like the most natural conversation. That's all I can Mm. say. And thanks to, yeah, thanks to how you've been with the topic and how, like what you were saying again, how authentically you've communicated your experience. Mm. We just really appreciate it. We have, on another note, a little round, our wildfire rounds, just to finish off. And our podcast wouldn't be the same without the wildfire round. So I hope you will indulge us, Emma. Go on. And um, <laughs> so you basically, right, you get five questions and two choices yeah. each time. It's just a bit of fun, really. Okay. Are you ready for it? it. I, <laughs> have I not heard this in your podcast? Maybe I never listened to the end. Go on then. <laughs> okay, first one. Belly dancing or hip hop? Oh, belly dancing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Candles or sunlight? Or oh, sunlight. The great outdoors, hey, all the way. And for your next question. Dates, possibly of the medjool variety. <laughs> or olives? Olives, oh God, dates. <laughs> oh, but both, oh, it depends. Yeah, evening olives. we know what you mean mean. okay next one for you 
we're nearly there. Mindfulness or winefulness? Oh, yeah, sadly, wine. <laughs> <laughs> chin, chin. Yeah, mindfully, though. <laughs> and finally, and this is McGinnis' very creative contribution, a flying tiger or a singing elephant? Oh. <laughs> She's scrapped up. Think, <laughs> I think the elephant. Mm. Yeah, I think the elephant, because of the steadiness and the jollity and the fact that the elephant would stay yeah. I, in my imagination. Wow. <laughs> and if there was a word to end a podcast on this topic, would be that for me, stay. Yeah. Stay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Untaming Femininity podcast. Join our inspiring tribe of women on Facebook to experience a deeper connection with yourself and to feel the empowerment of female solidarity. Tune in next Sunday for your weekly dose of depth, lightness and heartfelt shares.